How's everyone doing this morning? Good. Good. Well, let me start off by saying what a terrible week we've had. <laughs> um, uh, this morning we're talking about uh, faith as surprise, and there's literally no better week to talk about it than this week. Um, I, I'm thrilled to actually share what we're going to speak about this morning. First off, I want to um, clarify one thing. Uh, this is going to be a little bit shorter this morning, and we're going to have a time of prayer that Omid's going to lead at the end, uh, just for everything that's going on on our planet, in our country, uh, and beyond. Uh, we want to take space, and we always want to carve out space to pray, because uh, we believe prayer does amazing things. Um, the other uh, amazing thing is that after the service, we have Mendocino Farms, uh, Sean Sprung for the good stuff. So we have great food after the service. Stick around, do that, load up for the hike, um, and I hope you guys participate in the hike. Uh, that's going to be really awesome. Um, let, me, uh, let me pray, and then we'll jump into surprises. Lord, um, I'm just so grateful that we have spaces like this, that this is uh, a space of healing, um, that it is a, sp- a place of surprise. And what we're going to talk about this morning, uh, hopefully, is going to uh, strengthen our faith, cause us to uh, just lean into you just a little bit more. Um, And I pray for beauty, I pray for strength, I pray for healing this morning. Amen. All right. Um, Let me start off by saying I really hate surprises. I'm not one of those people uh, that loves a surprise. I was the kid that would open up the the Christmas present before Christmas and literally pull it out of the packaging, examine, put it carefully back in, and then tape it back together. Uh, My 25th birthday was a surprise party, but I knew about it a month ahead. Uh, I had found a text message that accidentally uh, popped on my wife's phone, and so I understood that, oh, there's going to be a surprise party. And it had the location, so the whole day I was like, oh, I wonder where we're going. And then we walked in, and everyone was like, surprise. And I was like, oh, my God, I never knew. Uh, But I was so much happier that I knew because I I despise the idea of surprise. Um, And a lot of it comes down to the fact that when we're surprised, we lose control. So when we're genuinely taken off guard, like we don't have any way to control that, and that leads to vulnerability. That leads to a space where we actually have to go like, oh shoot, people are just, it's all eyes on me right now, and I have to, I have to be who I am. I'm completely vulnerable. I decided to do some um, research on surprises this week, and they're fascinating, fascinating things. There's actually a website called The Science of Surprise, uh, where a group called the Surpriseologists will literally go into like corporate settings uh, or they'll go into personal settings and they will set up surprises because they believe surprises are the things that move people forward. And it's true, when you actually look at this stuff, um, there's something called the surprise sequence. So this is what happens when you get surprised. The moment of surprise happens and for 1 25th of a second, 1 25th of a second, you lose all motor control. And this is, this is fascinating, because this is why, like, when they, then they tried to take pictures to study, like, they expected to get this huge montage of these crazy faces, like, and, and stuff like that. Really, in that first 1 25th of a second, your face looks like this, right? It's completely zonked. And if you ever, like, remember back to any sort of surprise moment where you surprised another person, it's that sort of gaped mouth, like, like it, it, it takes over everything. And so that's the first... Uh, step in the sequence is to freeze. So there's three steps in this. It's to freeze, it's to change perspective, and then the third is to share the experience. So first, as we freeze, we are literally focused, and our focus doesn't just double, it quadruples in that 125th of a second. 
and our memory neurons fire faster. So this is insane. When you are surprised, your memory is acting in like hyper focus. So that's why you remember those moments so vividly. That's why when you saw that one movie where they had that one plot twist, it's the plot twist that you remember, but you probably can't remember a single line of dialogue. Because surprise just links into our souls, right? And we think about this on a purely sort of like evolutionary scale. Uh, way back in the day when we were swinging clubs and like, you know, I don't know, just swinging clubs, let's go with that, living in caves. Um, Let's say you have uh, Caveman Bill, sorry Bill, and then Caveman Bob, uh, and Caveman Bill is the smartest, thank you Bill, uh, in the whole crew, and you both have this fistful of berries that you've just found, and you forage in the wilderness, and then all of a sudden, from a bush, you see these giant fangs, and you see that they are coming towards you. This is the moment of surprise. So this is the moment where for 1 25th of a second, you're both like, right? There's something coming towards you. Now, Caveman Bill, who is the smarter one, goes, surprise, action, right? He changes his perspective, which is line number two. And he decides, I'm going to get the heck out of Dodge, and I'm going to run from here. Now, Caveman Bob, who is not exactly as wise, just stays mouth agape at this running animal who runs towards him, and he is eaten. Therefore, Caveman Bill passes down his genes of smartness, and Caveman Bob is wiped out of the equation, right? This is basic stuff, but it's how we respond to the surprise. So step two in the surprise sequence is to change your perspective. So really, a surprise doesn't come down to just shock. A surprise is much more than that. That's just that first little instance of like, whoa. But afterwards, the real meat and the real goodness of surprise is a change in perspective. We actually learn that what we thought before isn't actually correct. This is a moment where we change our minds completely. What was there before is no longer the same because of this moment that has come into our lives. And then the third part of this is sharing that experience. So Caveman Bill comes back into the fold and he says to everyone, guys, I just saw Bob get eaten and here's why. When you see this animal, run, right? You share your changed perspective and therefore people uh, actually like, like learn something from it. Here's a small, I've had a couple surprises this week. We'll get to the crazy one later. Uh, but the first one was this. So last week, we had a really hot week in here. And then I was hanging with Sean uh, through the week. And we were looking on Amazon for like high-powered fans. This thing is called a swamp cooler. <laughs> and when I got it, I thought when we ordered it, it was going to be around this big. And when it got to the door, it was the same size as our door. That's how big this box was. Uh, so. We open it up, and in the instructions, it says this is good for shopping malls, warehouses, and uh, outdoor decks. <laughs> so I think it'll do a pretty good job for us this morning. It also resembles like a sci-fi weapon, so that's good, too. Um, but yeah, that's the first surprise I had this week. The second surprise I had this week I want to get to. Uh, before I do that, I want to tell a very important story in the Bible about a moment where someone experiences this surprise sequence, goes through these events, and literally rewrites our history because of it. Rewrites our relationship and the way we interact with God because of it. And this is the story of Jacob. Um, and we touched on this story uh, last week, actually. We were talking about um, Jacob's sons, uh, who were Joseph and Joseph in the coat of many colors and all that good stuff. And so we're talking about the next generation. This week, I want to focus and I want to rewind just a little bit and go back to the beginning story of Jacob. 
because uh, this story and this instance in particular, we can really learn from as we walk forward in our faith. And this is why faith has to do with surprise. Uh, I'm going to read this. It's a little lengthy, and it's out of Genesis, but the text is so important here. So I'm going to read it, and then we'll kind of give some context clues to see where we're at. Um, we'll go from there. This is out of Genesis uh, 28, verse 10, and then we'll go all the way down to verse 22. Um, so this is, it's, it's called Jacob's Dream at Bethel. It says, Jacob left uh, Beersheba and set out for Haran. He reached a certain place, and that's important, a certain place, and he spent the night there. When the sun had set, he took one of the stones at the place and put it near his head, and then he laid down there. So he's using a stone as a pillow. He dreamed and saw a raised staircase. In some other translations, this is called a ladder. A raised staircase, its foundation on earth and its top touching the sky. And God's messengers, which are sometimes called angels, were ascending and descending on it. Suddenly the Lord was standing on it and saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will become like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west, the east, the north, and the south. Every family on earth will be blessed because you and your descendants. And that line I want to just read again for emphasis. Every family on earth will be blessed because of you and your descendants. I am with you now. I will protect you everywhere you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done everything that I promised you. And when Jacob woke from his sleep, he thought to himself, the Lord is definitely in this place, and I didn't know it. He was terrified and thought, this sacred place is awesome. It's none other than God's house and the entrance to heaven. After Jacob got up early in the morning, he took the stone that had been put under his head, and he set it up as a sacred pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He named that sacred place Bethel, though Luz was the city's original name. This is all really good information for us. <laughs> Jacob made a solemn promise, if God is with me and protects me on this trip I'm taking and gives me bread to eat and clothes to wear, and I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I've set up as a sacred pillar will be God's house, and everything you give me, I will give a tenth back. So this is important for a couple reasons, uh, and we really have to, this is why you have to, as we read scripture, we should always look before and after, because the Bible can be an extremely confusing thing. And if we just take this out of context, yes, it's a beautiful story about a really awesome dream and a beautiful sort of new look on life. But when we look at the context to it, stuff becomes much crazier. So Jacob, right before this, uh, Jacob's brother's name is Esau, and his father's name is Isaac. And Isaac has these two sons, and Esau is the older son, and they're twins. And from the very beginning, the Bible describes this cantankerous relationship between these two tins, uh, tins, twins. Uh, Jacob is like a simple uh, farmer man, but he's, he's a little more like indoors, like the indoors type of kid. And then there's Jacob, who's like this rugged hunter-gatherer sort of a guy. And he's the older one, and he's the heir to everything. But Jacob is sort of a sneakier person. And what Jacob does is he tricks Esau out of his inheritance by dressing up as Esau, Esau was a really hairy, Robin Williams-esque type man that had very hairy arms, and he came in and he put uh, goat's hair on his arm for, so that his blind father, when he touched him, said, is that Esau? And he goes, yes. And then from there, he, he, he convinces his father to give him his blessing, which essentially means 
I want you to give me the blessing, the inheritance. I want you to name this for me. And so his father does that, and as a result, the blessing is moved from Esau to Jacob. So it's kind of a really sketchy story, and Jacob is actually one of the heroes of this faith, and this is a weird move. This is not a good move. This is tricky, and it's, and it's odd. And so when Esau learns of this, this hunter-gatherer, Harry Robin Williams-esque man, decides, I'm going to have to kill my brother, because if I don't, he's going to inherit everything, and I'm going to inherit nothing. He's stolen my blessing from me. This is the righteous, right thing to do. I'm going to go, and I'm going to find him, and I'm going to kill him. So luckily, the mom gets involved, like all good mothers do, and she says to Jacob, you need to get out of here, because your brother Esau is looking for you, and he knows what you've done, and it's going to be bad. And so Jacob has to flee. Literally, he has to pick up and run. Even though he has this blessing, quote unquote, he's got to run for his life because his brother is after him. And his dad is not happy with him either. So he has to separate from his entire family. He has to go out into a foreign place. And he's basically on the lam. He's on the run. At any moment, his brother's people could find him. He could be taken. And worst case scenario, he could be killed. Best case scenario, He's beaten and he's thrown in some sort of a prison. I mean, this is not good. This is a tragic moment in Jacob's life. It's a tragic moment in Esau's life. This is where tragedy enters the scene. And Jacob is here in this pause moment, sleeping on the run. And it was most likely one of those fever dream, freaky nights, dark nights of the soul, where he's waking up every 15 minutes trying to figure out if someone is there, trying to figure out if he's going to get killed tonight. And in this moment where he has a rock as a pillow, which is not normal, by the way, that's not like a common practice in the ancient tradition, that literally means he had to leave so fast that he couldn't take anything with him. That's how scared he was. So he finds himself in this place, and he lays his head down on this rock of a pillow, freed out of his mind. He realizes, I've, I've cheated myself out of my family, and I've cheated my family, and now my brother is after me. This is just not a good moment in Jacob's life. I'd also like to point out that this comes out of the book of Genesis in which God is extremely present all the time. He even speaks audibly, just like he speaks to Jacob here. But up until now in this story, we don't see God anywhere. God is audibly nowhere to be found until this moment that Jacob lays his head down in a stressful, stressful moment in his life. And in that moment, God comes to him and he says, hey, I'm with you. And if you do as I tell you and you follow my instruction, not just because I want you to be obedient, but because this is going to literally save your hide, if you follow my instruction, then this is all going to work out. And so Jacob wakes up and he says something so profound, which I think in our week that we experienced this week, in our week that we experienced last week, and the week we experienced before that, I mean, this week I literally looked around and I was like, when is the world going to stop trying to kill us? It's been crazy. It's unreal. In a week like that, we need to pay attention hard because God's Bud's voice just isn't audible right now. I don't know about you, but I'm not hearing a lot. Just like Jacob in that moment, he's scared to death and he's all alone. And I guarantee you that a lot of us feel like way, and we're not even in the thick of it. The people who are going through these storms and these crazy things, they're certainly having this dark night of the soul. And they're asking that key fundamental question to our faith, God, where are you? 
And you know what's really interesting about that question? That's the very first question that's ever asked in the Bible. When you go back to Genesis 1, and God is walking after Adam and Eve meet the fruit, or eat the fruit, meet the fruit would be a great chapter title. When they eat the fruit, and tragedy hits for them, everything changes. God has said to like be walking in the cool breeze of the afternoon, which I just think is like one of the coolest lines in the Bible because he's just sort of sauntering in in a robe. And he finds them, and he asks the first question that's ever recorded in the Bible, and that's, where are you? Where are you? And then they, rep they reply, we were hiding because we realized we were naked. And then the second question in the Bible is, who told you that? Where are you, and who told you that? Are the two founding questions that all of our scripture is based upon. Who are you and who told you that? Or where are you and who told you that? So God, where are you? And in this moment, Jacob, in this dream, wakes up and he, he's terrified, it says. He's so scared. Because he wakes up and he realizes that, oh my goodness, God has been here all along in this whole story, in my whole weird, cheaty moment. God has been here all along. In my brother wanting to kill me, God has been here all along. And he wakes up and he says, surely God is in this place. In fact, this translation says, definitely in this place. And I, I did not know. I've had that line memorized for many years because it's one of my favorite, like, kind of aha surprise moments in scripture. But I memorized it wrong, and I realized it that week. I memorized it, surely God was in this place, and I, I did not know. And it was a really profound moment for me this week to read that and read, definitely is in this place, and I, it did not know. It's not past tense. God has been in this story all this time, and I didn't know. So Jacob does the surprise sequence. He wakes up, and he goes, freaks out, it's the freeze moment. Surely God was in this place, and I didn't know. And then he changes his perspective. I want to point out, the dream was heaven coming down to earth and earth going up to heaven. It's this exchange of God working in both places, and God realizes God is a God that's both here and up there. And God is a God that is setting up these places that want to bring more of what's up there down to here. And his entire perspective on the way that he's going to move forward in his life shifts because now there's a God that's present with him through everything. You know, the worst thing you can say to a family in crisis or to any of these people that are in crisis this week is God has a plan. It's a very Christianese word, and it's very helpful in a lot of cases. I'm going to debunk that. It's not actually helpful. Because God has a plan kind of points out the fact that like you're in the thick of it because God wants you there. The better thing to say is God is with you. You are a part of God's plan. And God is here with you. God is in this place. And maybe you don't know it yet, but he's in this place. So Jacob's perspective changes, and that's sequence number two. And then the third part is he builds out of the stone that was once the low point in his life, he builds a pillar there, and he says, this is where I'm going to remember God. This is how I'm going to share that I met God in this place. Pillars in this ancient day were signatures. They were monuments set up that when you pass them, you would go, someone, someone experienced something significant in this space. We still do it. We just do it in other ways. We have the Washington Monument. We have like uh, structures erected when really famous things happen. We put statues up nowadays. They would just kind of pile some rocks up. And if someone passed that along the way, they would know something significant went down here. 
So he's sharing his experience. So he goes through all three levels of surprise. And because Jacob is the father of Joseph, and then it goes on from there in the story of Moses, he literally experiences this surprise, and it changes the way that we interact with God for the rest of the Bible. That surely God is present in this place, and maybe we just can't see it yet. Maybe we just can't see every angle of the story. So uh, when I was growing up, um, and many of you know, uh, some of you probably don't, my brother experienced a horrifying accident uh, on Friday early morning, about 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, he was on, uh, I, I said motorcycle because it's truly more embarrassing than that. He was on a scooter, a Vespa. <laughs> and he was driving uh, 45 miles an hour, and he got struck. Uh, we didn't have any details, though, so we had no idea. Um, and as, as I was growing up, my brother was seriously my best friend. We moved seven times before I was 14. And even though there was a five-year age gap between the two of us, we were literally sometimes like the only friends each other had. Just because we would move and move and move and move and move. But there, one thing remained constant, and that was our relationship as brothers. And I've gotten these calls before. Let me just give you a little rundown of my brother. Uh, he stabbed himself in the leg once, <laughs> and I got that call uh, because he tried to hop a fence, and he was impaled on the fence, and he was just literally sitting there until the paramedics came, and I came to lift him off of the fence. He's an accident-prone individual and always has been since he was a kid. So when I got the call that he was in the ER, I just kind of went, oh, that idiot. Okay, get up, and then drive to the ER. Kind of just numb. And then when I get there, I see my dad. And this is that moment, maybe you guys have experienced that, but the one you're supposed to look at as like kind of the strongest one in your entire life, and you see that he's trembling, and you're like, oh no. That's the freeze moment, right? Oh no. When I walk up to him, he can barely sort of get this information out. It turns out Brennan had hit this thing so hard, and he had flown so hard onto the sidewalk that he had ruptured his heart. In fact, the main artery that goes into his heart and they were going to have to perform surgery on his heart. And it would be a less invasive surgery if it worked, and then if it didn't work, which the likelihood was pretty high at that point, they would have to do open heart surgery on him. And besides that, he had fractured his rip, or his, uh, his hip, and he couldn't walk. He can now. That's cool. But we're running down these details, and I just remember feeling numb. This is fresh. It's only two days ago. I felt so numb. God, where are you? And people came through. Uh, I don't know if you know this. My, my parents are on two separate church staffs for some pretty big churches in town. So, like, people from one church came. People from the other church came. People from our church came. And there were just all of these church people all around. And if they'd come, they'd say, hey, let's pray together. And we'd pray together. And I could never find the words to pray because the only prayer I was really thinking in my head is, like, God, please don't be a jerk. Please don't do this. Please do not take my brother from me. Do not be a jerk. And that's not the kindest prayer to prayer out loud, so I would just, in my head, just be like, where are you? What's going on? The other part of this is we have no information about how this happened to Brennan. He doesn't remember, and so we have no clue. And we've had no police show up. We've had no firefighters. He came in as a John Doe. No, he didn't have an ID on him. No one knew who he was. It took forever to find him. We have no information about what's going on, so all I'm thinking is like, what is this random accident that's happened? Why is this happening? What's going on? Where are you, God? And so I decided I'd stay with him 
uh, in the ICU his first night, which was Friday night. Um, and it's just this sleepless night because they just performed surgery. The surgery was successful, but they have to monitor him. And, and there's still stuff going on with his hip. There's still stuff going on with his leg where blood clots had flown. And so it's just every 15 minutes, there are nurses coming. There are all of these machines that are just keeping him alive and all these tubes. And every 15 minutes, they would come, and I would wake up. And sometimes I'd have to leave the room as they would like roll in the, uh, the x-ray machine. And then we got the strangest call, which was that the nurse walks in, and she says to my brother, there are police officers out front. Uh, they want to talk to you. Are you in any shape to talk to him? He just says no. So he goes back, and they tell the police officers. And then she comes back in, and she goes, would you talk to them because they're not leaving? And my head goes to like the worst case scenario here. But they're not leaving, and they need to talk to someone. And I was like, OK, cool. I'll go talk to them. They turned out to be amazing. And they filled in every piece of information that we didn't have. So again, we're flying blind at this point. We didn't know what was going on. And it's 1 in the morning, and these police officers show up. And they explain to me, they're like, do you have any idea what happened? And I'm like, I have no clue. I'm like, well. Turns out Brennan gunned it through a yellow light that turned red, and a truck was coming onward. And he hit the truck just in the fender of the truck at 45 miles an hour on his Vespa going downhill. And the impact was strong enough to send the truck, the pickup truck, into a tailspin into the wall across the way on the intersection. And to send Brendan flying across the street at 45 miles an hour in the air, rotating in the air, onto the sidewalk. All of this while wearing a uh, Cookie Monster helmet, <laughs> which saved his life. He's flipping, he's going, he lands. And a lady comes and picks him up, calls 911. Huge rush to the scene. And this is the first moment where I go, oh, God was in this place. I'm looking around, I'm hearing the story, and I'm hearing the story of this lady that just happened to be there at 3 in the morning to grab him and hold him. I'm hearing the story of the firefighters getting there in five minutes and throwing him into the ambulance. I'm hearing the story of the truck driver who just wanted to make sure that he was OK. And then right after that, the surgeon comes up. It's like a movie. Like one character leaves, the surgeon comes up, and he, wants, he goes, I need to kind of lay out for you exactly what's happening, because all we knew that he had, he had a rupture, but they're like, they needed to fill us in. And so he says, by the way, uh, your brother, what he experienced was a tear in his areota. I'm not pronouncing that correctly at all, but I'm not even going to try, which is basically the main artery that connects to the heart, and it had torn from the heart. So essentially all day, he was bleeding out internally, and he said, anyone who sustains that kind of injury dies on the scene. Like, I don't understand how your brother made it this far, but it just so happened that the way that he landed put a certain piece of tissue right in the way of that rupture and contained it enough that we were able to do this minor surgery on him so that he was alive. And all of this just keeps lining up. And I just keep remembering that everyone has been praying all day long for Brendan. It's three different churches, hundreds of people, churches that my dad was on staff at before, churches that we've been on staff at, and the seven moves that we had gone through throughout life in different countries and different states. Everyone was coming together, and they were praying for my baby brother. And for some miraculous reason, he was alive when he just shouldn't have been. And in one breath, I went from blaming God to thanking God. And going, surely God was in this place, and I, I didn't know. And so I went through the stages of surprise, which I want us to look at this morning, not just as stages of surprise, but stages of faith. 
when you encounter God, you freeze. What is this? And then you change your perspective. And then you share your experience. And so what I experienced in that faith moment was I experienced God. I looked back and I saw all that had happened and all that was going to happen. And I froze and then it changed my whole perspective and I saw beauty in a story where I saw only hurt before. And then I was able to come here and share that experience. Our faith is meant to act like a surprise. And I think so often we walk away from the surprises because we can either be like Jacob and see the wonder in that dream, or we can literally wake up and be like, that was a crazy dream, now I need to keep running for my brother. You can see the beauty in the dream, or you can see the absurdity in what's going on. And if we can focus and see the beauty in all of the story that's going on around us, that our faith is going to look so much better. Our churches are going to look so much better. We have to allow our faith to surprise us, and oftentimes we just don't think it's surprising. We think surely God cannot be at work here, not here, not in this bar, not in this nightclub, not in this street corner, not in this accident. This isn't where God does things. God does things like in a holy atmosphere, in a good place. God is in those places, but he's not over here, and that's simply not true. God is doing stuff all around us, and we just have to have the perspective shift to be willing to be surprised, to be willing to lean into that feeling and to go, to move forward. I think the call on the church in America right now that's declining at a crazy, crazy rate is to go, we need these arrows out approaches. We need to go to the places where maybe before we didn't think God was at work and we'll find him there. And we can share our experience in those moments. But if we keep just trying to come in and sing the same songs and preach the same sermons, nothing's going to change. We all know this statistic. You know what the definition of insanity is? doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a new result. And yet we are okay with that in our faith. And we cannot be okay with that in our faith. We need to constantly be looking for where God is at work and expanding our horizons. And if that's accomplished, then, man, we're going to look around and we're going to say, surely God was in this place or is in this place. And I, I did not know. I'm going to pray for us, um, and then uh, Omid is going to come up. He's actually going to lead us in a time of prayer, uh, just for everything that's going on. Um, and yeah, let me, let me pray for us and our surprises this week. Lord God, um, I'm so grateful to be here. I'm so grateful to be uh, with, with family, with friends, with loved ones, uh, with the church. And that's what the church really is, family, friends, loved ones. I pray for everything that we are about to pray for. May we truly engage in this process of praying for others as we consider the spaces that you are at work right now, the storms that you are at work within and out of and getting people out of. We just pray for surprise, surprises of hope in everything we do. Amen. I wanted to briefly <clears throat> remind us of the amazing story of Elijah.
when he was called out to the mountain. And the Lord replied, I, I want you to see me when I pass by. And there was a strong wind that shook the mountain and it shattered the rocks. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. Next, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. Then there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And finally, there was a gentle breeze. And when Elijah heard it, he covered his face with his coat, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave and received the Lord. So I'm not going to play anything during this prayer. I want us just to listen for that breeze. I think a lot of people are looking for God in the shaking of the rocks and the mountain and in the wind and in the fire, especially with everything that is happening this week. And those are elements that have all been present even in the news in the last 24 hours. Um, let us be a church that receives God in the breeze. So let's take a posture prayer, whatever that would mean um, for you. And let's pray over our, our world for a moment. Father God, we are here and we are listening. We receive you in the stillness. With everything that is surrounding us, Father, I pray that you do still our hearts. In that stillness, we reach out to you, Father, and we stand in solidarity with our world community. I want to pray first for those affected by the massive storms that have ravaged so many places on this earth. If the storms have passed, Father, we pray that you be in that place, that you would be with the first responders on the scene that you would be with those that were left behind in their communities, that you would give them the power and the strength and the courage to rise up to do whatever needs to be done to put their homes and lives back together. For those who are about to enter into a storm, Lord, we stand in solidarity with them as well. We cannot imagine the fear or the terror that they might be experiencing, knowing that this is coming, not being able to control it. We pray, Lord, that they, if possible, are able to exit the path of this storm, that you would be with those who are predicting its journey, that you would give them wisdom so that they can warn those who need it that you would be with those who are in charge of government and community service and relief agencies, Lord, that you would keep them safe, that you would prepare them for what is ahead. If we know anyone in those communities, I pray that you would be with their loved ones wherever they are, that you would surround them and keep them safe. And Father, when these storms pass, let us not be a people who forget and who walk by those stone monuments 
and do not pause to think about what you have done. But let us be a community that remembers your power, remembers what you have done in those places, that we would stand as also at the ready to help them in any way that they would need, in any way that we can, for as long as they need it, because we do not forget. And lastly, this morning, Father, I want to pray for Brendan Cobia. We acknowledge that you have worked a miracle. As hard as it is to utter this word, Father, we thank you for what you've done there in keeping him safe. Though it's hard to thank someone who scares you so deeply. But Father, thank you for being present. Let us be reminded that we can trust you. And Lord, if we walk out of here with nothing else this morning, let it be a renewed ability to trust. Please be with him as he continues to recover. Give him strength. Be with doctors and nursing staff and all those who have watched over his health. Bless them with wisdom to continue his journey of healing. Please be with Josh and his entire family. Give them the strength to continue to stand up underneath this. And Father, again, the peace to recognize that you are present and in control. And lastly, Father, I thank you for this community. Let us be a people who stand at the ready to help those affected by the storm and the wind and the rain and the fire and the earthquakes, those affected by, by death and accident and sheer terror. Let us be a community that can surround those people with love. For you are the one who taught us how to love. Thank you for sending your son to set such a powerful example of how to live. It's in Christ's name we pray this morning. Amen.